This is Baffled with David DeRoche, and this is our penultimate episode of our first season, and this one's called The Biggest Threat to American Democracy Isn't Donald Trump, It's Nationalism Hidden in American Journalism. All right, y'all, I am fired up for this episode. For one thing, I just got my COVID booster, and I'm feeling a little loopy, and for another... I'm getting pretty sick and tired of the annoying, subversive nationalism that colors almost every single news item about politics or elections or foreign affairs in the United States. And no, I'm not talking about the super obvious nationalism that you might get from white wing news outlets like Fox or the National Review. They don't really hide their America first bias, which in a way is more respectable than the nationalism I'm actually talking about in this episode. That's because those other companies are just as America first as the right-wing ones, yet in a much more subversive and arguably more dangerous way. And this episode is about that very thing. I'm going to talk about how they do this and why it's a real problem and why it's actually more of a threat to democracy than Donald Trump ever was. Let me back up for a second. My colleague here at Quinnipiac recently shared with me a blog posted by Jay Rosen. Now, if you don't know who Jay is, you probably should, especially if you're listening to this podcast. Jay's an NYU professor who runs a blog called Press Think, and he's arguably one of the more insightful critics on modern journalism out there. He posted earlier this year about how some news outlets have been making significant improvements to their practice since Donald Trump tried to subvert the democratic process with a Stop the Steal movement. One example that Jay offers to show how journalists might be evolving is public broadcaster WTIF in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So in Pennsylvania, eight state lawmakers there supported Trump's baseless claims about the election being rigged against him. And so WTF decided that whenever they would report on those lawmakers in the future, they would include an important contextual caveat, which is this, quote, Senator such and such who signed a letter asking members of Congress to delay certifying Pennsylvania's electoral votes despite no evidence that would call those results into question, today introduced a bill, blah, blah, blah. So essentially that public news outlet was going to have that disclaimer anytime they reported on any of these eight Pennsylvania congressmen. So the public news outlet then described the January 6th Capitol riots as an unprecedented assault against American democracy. First of all, just bravo for WTAF for taking the stand. I, I mean, I'm personally, I'm crazy about context. I mean, has, has there ever been a, a nerdier journalism statement than that? I'm crazy about context. But as annoying as it can be, context is arguably the most important part of truth-telling. Because the truth does not live in a vacuum. Truth is fluid, ever-changing, historical, complicated, and sometimes contradictory. And context is the frame that puts the truth into the proper light so that all angles are illuminated. WTIF's decision to provide important context on an ongoing basis about these Pennsylvania congressmen is an incredible step forward for their newsroom. They are, from now on, contextualizing any news story related to those eight lawmakers that, again, wanted to overturn the certified election results. Those lawmakers' decisions will haunt them in WTIF's reporting until the end of their careers, or at least until they apologize for their stupidity and and genuinely try to make amends. WTIF's decision is a big deal. It's huge. It's a massive step forward for journalism to recognize the very real threat that these lawmakers pose to American democracy. But, (laughs) this is a big but, a big old fat booty but, assaults to American democracy happen all the time. 
and they've been happening for centuries. Donald Trump's assault just happened to be super obvious and beyond ridiculous. It's taken a hyperbolic, completely insane assault on democracy for American journalists to finally begin offering context. Yeah, not all American journalists, at least those just at WTAF. So why did it take so long for any news outlet to start offering specific context like this? Well, the answer to that question is really complicated. I'm not sure anyone can actually answer it, but I'd like to offer three reasons why the absence of context in American journalism is essentially a tool that serves a nationalist agenda and also threatens democracy. Now, maybe that sounds like a stretch, but bear with me. I think I might convince at least one of you. Before I jump into the three reasons, let me explain what I mean about how American journalists do not provide context and how that can actually threaten our democracy. Let's take a recent example. December 7th was the 80th anniversary of the attacks on Pearl Harbor. Whenever journalists talk about Pearl Harbor in the United States of America, we talk about it as an unprovoked attack. We frame it as a surprise. At worst, the Japanese come across as evil, indiscriminate killers, and American soldiers are the victims. Even if we're not explicitly saying that as journalists, the message is pretty clear. At best, these stories inspire the public to get that patriotic feeling as Americans. We remember what happened after the attack. We remember we won the war. Maybe we even think of how we won the war by dropping two atomic bombs into Japanese cities. I'm not so sure how many of us actually think about how the bombs killed and maimed hundreds of thousands of human beings, but that's a topic for somebody else to dig into. Most Americans, when we hear a story about Pearl Harbor, we think about us being the innocent victim and eventually beating Japan. And that feels good as an American. There's nothing more American than winning, right? And winning against those evil Japanese that surprised attacked us, killing thousands of our brothers and sisters. Now, in fairness, I seriously doubt that that's the intended result of Pearl Harbor stories that journalists put together every year. I'm, I'm certain they just want to tell a good story. And I get it. Those are good stories. A bad guy surprisingly attacks the good guy, but the good guy fights back and wins, which is true. It's not like they're lying about it. However, as I mentioned before, that's not the whole truth. There is no context. Now, bear with me for a minute because I might say some stuff that will ruffle your feathers. And that's what context can do. It challenges us to think deeper about what we think is true. Pearl Harbor stories written by American journalists almost never have the important context that gives us the whole picture and the bigger truth. We never hear about the fact that in the late 1800s, Hawaii's king went to Japan to seek an alliance in part because of America's growing influence in the kingdom of Hawaii at the time. Less than a decade after the king's visit to Japan, U.S. Marines invaded Hawaii. The U.S. illegally overthrew a kingdom. And it didn't formally address these illegal actions until 1993 when Congress finally passed the Apology Resolution. And by the time the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor in 1941, it's estimated that roughly 40% of Hawaii's population was of Japanese descent. So think about that for a second. Could it be possible that Japan was simply trying to eliminate an uninvited usurper that was illegally ruling lands that were inhabited by a large number of its own people? Could it be? Of course, the whole story is way more complicated than that, and there are plenty of other economic and defense-related reasons for Japan's attack on Hawaii, and yet we hear none of these things when we talk about Pearl Harbor. We also never talk about how the American military failed to predict the attack when there were plenty of signs leading up to December 7th that should have been recognized. We only know of Pearl Harbor as a surprise attack. 
It's like the game of telephone we used to play when you were little. The truth always starts out complicated and whole, but over time it gets watered down, altered, muddied, and sometimes it becomes unrecognizable. But what happens as a result of eight decades of Pearl Harbor journalism in America? Well, our stereotypes about the Japanese get reinforced. The minimization of the use of atomic bombs gets reinforced. American propaganda that paints America as a good guy and always the good guy gets reinforced. And lastly, it oversimplifies the complex nature of truth, which robs the public of their right to know and inevitably contributes to polarization. Because when people don't have the full truth, they fill in the blanks with their beliefs. And it's those three problems we're going to dig into today. Now, you might be listening to me now and saying, holy crap, this David DeRoche character, he's the un-American one. Listen to him trash our country and support our enemies. Is the Taliban recruiting these days? Anyone know? I'm kidding, people. Come on. Good Lord in heaven. I would never work for the Taliban. Their health plan is terrible. Kidding again, people. Come on, relax. If you can't have fun with serious things, what have we become as a society? But you might be half right about me. I'm not un-American, though. Let's be clear about that. I'm not un-American by any means. I'm simply not pro-American. And it's an important distinction. And any respectable American journalist who actually cares about the truth should also not be pro-American. Instead, we should be pro-democracy. Again, important distinction. Very different things. American journalists are too often subversively and probably unintentionally pro-America and not necessarily pro-democracy. If American journalists were actually pro-democracy and not pro-America, we would mention the United States' own meddling in other countries' elections since World War II. It's happened at least 80 times, according to a Carnegie Mellon study. And we'd also mention our meddling anytime we talked about elections in those countries, just like we mentioned Russia's meddling anytime we talk about our own elections. Isn't that the only fair way? Additionally, if we were pro-democracy and not pro-America, Anytime we talk about a democratic movement in another country, American journalists would report American efforts to subvert democratic processes in that country in the past, if such examples exist. Assassination, CIA-sponsored coups, Salvador Allende in Chile, Patrice Lumumba in the Congo, plenty of other examples of these things happening. Given that history and never being able to keep our hands out of other countries' pockets, my guess is that this context would exist whenever we're reporting on pretty much any country. Again, if we were pro-democracy and not pro-America, we would be reporting those important pieces of historical context. Only, again, if we were actually pro-democracy. But we're not. American journalists are pro-America. And that is super problematic because it leads to the following three things which ultimately threaten democracy. First of all, hiding nationalism behind a mask of democracy perpetuates negative stereotypes about anything that's not American. Think about how many journalists report on Alexei Navalny, the Russian politician who's a perennial thorn in Vladimir Putin's side. Uncle Sam's reporters love Navalny because he represents the possibility of for a democratic Russia. He talks a big game about democracy. But what evidence is there that would suggest that he would actually bring democracy to Russia? After all, numerous psychological and social experiments have basically proven that Lord Acton was right. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Just look at all the examples of authoritarian regimes that were overthrown by people spouting pro-democracy rhetoric who later became authoritarians themselves. Hell, just look in the past couple of years. 
Aung San Suu Kyi is the latest, saddest example of this. A Nobel Prize winner who became an icon of democracy when she was elected to lead Myanmar, who later ramped up oppression against the Rohingya Muslims in her own country. She even defended her own military in court when it was accused of genocide. Or what about Abe Ahmed, the Ethiopian leader who took over after decades-long authoritarian rule there? He also won a Nobel Peace Prize for his democratic reforms, but who, just like Suu Kyi, eventually turned against his people. Those are things that happened just within the last couple of years. There are plenty of other examples of ostensibly noble democracy-touting ideologues who get power and then clamp down on it. It's not a new thing. Yet American journalists love it when a voice talking about democracy appears in an authoritarian country. But only if that country's authoritarianism is a threat to America. Important caveat. Q. Russia. American journalists love Navalny, not because he's pro-democracy, though that might be part of it. No, it's more likely, I'd argue, that they love him because he's anti-Putin. Or better yet, he's anti-Putin's Russia. And American journalists love nothing more than to demonize Putin. Russia is the perfect enemy of the United States and has been for nearly a century. So the stereotype about Russia persists in American journalism. Russia is an authoritarian regime and a sworn enemy of the United States. Which is, of course, true, but there is a deeper truth about Russia. Do reporters ever mention that a majority of the people in Russia seem to like Putin? Look at independently conducted exit polls from the 2021 election that showed most people voted for Putin. Even though the election was most likely rigged, there, are, there still seems to be more support for his party over the other major party. Hell, Navalny himself ran a telephone poll when Putin was trying to essentially become president for life back in 2020, and the results in cosmopolitan Moscow, again, a poll conducted by Navalny, showed that 40% approved of Putin's efforts. In Moscow, a city where if anyone's going to be mad at Putin, it's going to be people living there. Four out of 10 people polled wanted Putin to basically become king. Where does a lot of that support come from? People like that Putin stands up to the West, which is another way of saying he stands up to America. But journalists don't provide any context like that because it would challenge the narrative that Russia's entire identity is based on an authoritarian regime that wants to destroy America and that it's populated by people who desire change but are silenced when they seek it, which again is probably true, but it's not the whole truth. So journalists ignore the context and decide to perpetuate the Russia stereotype, which makes it harder for regular people to understand the complexities that make up Russia's cultural identity. And nothing is more important to world peace than understanding. So why aren't journalists working harder to combat stereotypes with more nuanced and contextualized reporting? In a phrase, it's hard to do. It's so much easier to write the same old story, especially when you're on deadline. Why get complicated? Your editor's probably going to push back against it. And, and the fact checkers, if you're lucky to have any, are going to take longer to verify your claims because most of that context isn't commonly reported, so it's not common knowledge, which makes the process of confirming the contextual information longer and makes everyone's job harder. And that's why I think most journalists don't provide context because it makes everyone's job harder, especially theirs, especially if the context is not common knowledge, meaning it hasn't been reported much, if at all. But isn't that the core of the problem? It's not common knowledge because nobody is reporting on it. At some point, individual journalists, editors, and fact checkers need to take a stand and start providing more complexity in the form of context. 
Once that begins to happen, more journalists will begin doing it. And eventually, after a few years, maybe we'll get over the knowledge hump. And eventually, maybe after a decade or so, it'll become common practice in all reporting. At least that's my hope. Until that happens, journalists who avoid context will only be perpetuating stereotypes that may certainly be true, but ultimately limit our understanding. And the body public with limited understanding is a powder keg waiting to blow. January 6th. The second thing that happens when journalists hide their pro-nationalism under a cloak of pro-democracy is that they spread propaganda for the U.S. government at home and abroad. Continuing with the Pearl Harbor example mentioned earlier, Pearl Harbor stories, and really any war story about America, including the Civil War for that matter, all these stories inevitably have the same message. American wars, or maybe we should say American military interventions in other countries' affairs, are about spreading freedom and democracy. Isn't that what we're always told by the politicians and and bureaucrats? Now, of course, most journalists see through that propaganda and cover wars only with the truth as an objective. I'd argue this is where journalists excel. They know the line they're being asked to toe, but they choose another line. Not all journalists covering war do this, but I'd argue a majority of American journalists do. But here's the kicker. It's not so much what American journalists write during an American-involved war. No, it's more about what they don't write which again, boils down to context. And the lack of context is what perpetuates American propaganda. Journalists might not be waving American flags and talking about freedom and democracy openly, but they are certainly doing it subversively by omitting the context that fills in the blanks and adds the complexity to the truth, which again, is the very nature of truth. It is complex, almost always. Again, the attack on Pearl Harbor is one example. Hell, the rise of Hitler is another example. Rarely do journalists ever talk about how Hitler came to power, which happened in large part because of unfair and crippling financial burdens imposed on Germany by most of Europe after World War I. It was those policies that led to rampant inflation, crippling debt, and deep frustration among Germans, which made them ripe for manipulation by a demagogue, Hugh Hitler. Now, when journalists talk about World War II and Hitler, we usually talk about Germans being duped by a megalomaniac, which again is true, but it's only part of the truth. By not telling the whole truth regarding Hitler's rise, journalists make it seem as if Germany's path happened in a vacuum, and it inoculates the rest of Europe from any responsibility. It perpetuates the winning side's propaganda. It makes the good and evil sides appear clear, and it oversimplifies and keeps the public ignorant. Or consider when American journalists talk about the attacks on 9-11. When we write those stories every September, do we talk about the origins of Al-Qaeda or the Taliban? Do we talk about how they exist in large part because of atrocious U.S. activities in the Middle East and Central Asia for decades? How the U.S. supported authoritarians in Iran? How Saddam Hussein's Ba'ath Party had U.S. support from the 1950s until the Gulf War? Or how the U.S. abandoned Afghanistan in the 1980s after the war with Russia, leaving that country in literal ruins and with absolutely no U.S. support? Do American journalists talk about how U.S.-led efforts to suppress democracy in many countries is the most significant reason why so many anti-U.S. terrorist groups exist in the first place? No, journalists don't talk about those things. We don't discuss the reasons why al-Qaeda or the Taliban exist when we talk about 9-11. We simply frame the story the same way we frame the Pearl Harbor attacks, which again is true, but it's not the whole truth.
And when we don't tell the whole truth, journalists end up as unwitting regime propagandists. And who suffers as a result? Everyone. And democracy also suffers because the people remain uninformed and unable to empathize with their foreign brothers and sisters. The missing context creates holes, which are then filled with beliefs. And in that ignorance, the public remains ripe for manipulation by the partisan press and, of course, demagogues. That's why American journalism's hidden nationalism is the biggest threat to democracy. It oversimplifies and leaves the people ignorant. And ignorant people simply gravitate toward what they believe, which deepens polarization. And because most American journalism exists within a for-profit business structure, the journalism itself becomes more partisan because that's what brings in the views, the clicks, and the bucks. And this brings us to the third thing that happens when journalists become de facto nationalists by omitting context. The truth is oversimplified. I've talked about this already a little bit. This might also be a good time for an analogy. Imagine you're on a jury for a murder trial. The person on trial is accused of killing his father. Big case. The prosecution's evidence against him is very tight. A murder weapon with his prints on it, the deceased's blood is on the accused. All sorts of evidence point to guilt. The man even admits to pulling the trigger and shooting his father. So my question to you, fictional jury member, with all the prosecution's evidence clearly showing the man's guilt and his own admission that he shot his father, do you convict? Now, I really hope that you're saying to yourself, wait a minute, he admitted shooting his father, but how did he actually plead? What actually happened? We need more information. Maybe some of you law and order boss are even thinking, isn't a person presumed innocent until proven guilty? And yes, of course you're right. Both of those things are right. Even with all the evidence pointing to guilt, we do not know all the circumstances that led up to the trigger being pulled. We don't know if this man was abused by his father as a child, if this man was attacked by his father and he shot him in self-defense, or if there was some other circumstance that would make the shooting not a murder. Because yes, it's true that he shot and killed his father. But did he murder him? That's the question you need to answer, jury member. And to figure out the answer, you have to hear not both sides, but all sides. You need not some context, but all context. Now, lawyers from both sides are going to give you the partial truth. They're going to bombard you with context. Sometimes the sides will completely contradict, but each side will somehow magically have evidence that shows that they are correct. How can that be? How can both sides have evidence to show that they're right, but they contradict each other? The lawyers are going to omit some facts and emphasize others. They're going to mislead you and guide you as much as the judge will allow. And then it's up to you to sift through all that garbage, all that madness and contradictory facts and determine what actually happened and then figure out what to do about it. That's how justice works in America. Now, I mean, forget about all the flaws in our justice system just for a minute. And just think about how it works in a best case scenario. The jury sifts through different versions of the facts to determine what actually happened. In the best case scenario, with all things being equal, the jury would most of the time make the correct choice. Why can't journalism be like that? Why can't journalists find all those complexities and ambiguities that lawyers love? Ambiguity in journalism inspires doubt. And doubt leads to challenging one's opinion. And that challenging leads to open-mindedness, which then leads to a decision based not solely on speculation or belief or desire, but on an honest interpretation of the information at hand. And people tend to make smarter, more nuanced decisions when they have more complexity. 
In any court case, the truth is never simple. In life, the truth is almost never simple. But in journalism, it almost always is simple. Why? Think about any interview you've ever seen with a jury member from a well-publicized court case. When I think about those interviews, I'm almost always impressed with how conflicted the jurors are about the decision-making process. You can hear the struggle in their voice and they're grasping for the right words to express the complexity of that experience. But ask a person who's just read an online news story or watched a TV segment about the murder, ask them what they think about it, and their answer is almost always clear and unequivocal. Guilty! Fry that bastard! Innocent! Set him free! That's because, again, American journalism oversimplifies the truth. To me, this is a symptom of the American way. We're a country that loves competition. Not only that, we love seeing the world and competition with a black and white lens, right? Two teams battling each other in the gridiron, that kind of thing. Everything is bifurcated. So naturally, American journalism would also fall into this type of thinking. Now, media critics have been talking for years about the problem with creating false equivalences and false dichotomies. Because again, it oversimplifies the truth. I'm arguing, however, that when American journalists do it, we're perpetuating American nationalism. We become spokespeople not of democracy, which is complicated and messy, but rather of America and not the good parts just the overly simple way of thinking that deepens the American people's ignorance and ultimately makes it harder for us to talk across the aisle, which ultimately threatens our fragile democracy. That's why I think nationalism hidden in American journalism is actually a bigger threat to democracy than Donald Trump ever was or is. Trump is a blip. He'll be gone when he dies. Maybe his movement will live on in some form or another, but it'll pass. Authoritarians and their minions never last. But American journalism has remained essentially the same since the 1800s, when the New York Times saw objectivity as the most important value. That value remains at the top of most news companies' list of values, even as times have changed dramatically. Interestingly, or perhaps hypocritically, American journalists are among the most partisan of journalists in the industrialized world, according to various surveys over the years. And yet, objectivity remains the highest value. Now, to be clear, it's not journalism's obsession with objectivity that's the threat. Rather, it's the profession's refusal to be fully transparent about its biases and, more importantly, its processes, while at the same time oversimplifying truth, omitting important context, and perpetuating nationalist propaganda while also reinforcing negative stereotypes about other countries. That is the real threat to democracy. Our democracy didn't begin its descent with Donald Trump. The rights of U.S. citizens have slowly been eroding since at least 2001, according to the Democracy Erosion Consortium. Trump was merely the light that showed us the holes. <laughs> Let me back up. Trump can never actually be a light, even in a metaphor. Let's call him the soap on the tire that bubbled up and showed us that the tire had a hole in it. Well, that's not really fair. Soap, you get the point. Moving on. <laughs> Trump was simply the culmination of the ongoing erosion that, again, has been happening for decades. And American journalists have stood by and watched it happen. Sure, we've covered problems with the Patriot Act when it was proposed, and many of us covered it after it passed. But what about today? Do we ever consider its lingering effects on our freedoms? Or what about the prosecution of whistleblowers, or the illegal data gathering exposed by Edward Snowden, or any of the other affronts to democracy that we've covered but soon accepted? 
What about all the financial malfeasance on Wall Street? Do we remind the public about a company's misdeeds whenever we report on that company in the future? Why don't we? Where's the context? The biggest threat to democracy isn't an orange buffoon. It's journalism's indifference to and acceptance of these incremental losses of freedoms. And it's hidden nationalism that ignores important context and oversimplifies complex truths. All journalists share responsibility here, no matter what you cover. Everything needs context, not just foreign policy, national security issues. We, as journalists, need to recognize that our flaws are the real threat to democracy. We've done the United States a disservice by not providing people with the whole truth and by not properly fighting back against the years-long erosion of our own democracy. Maybe journalists think people can't handle being told that the U.S. is not always great or not always perfect or sometimes not even pro-democracy. And maybe most people can't handle it, but that doesn't mean we don't tell them. We all need our vegetables, especially the ones that are hard to swallow. All right, Cognitive Bipeds, that is it for today. Thank you for hearing me rant on this topic, which is obviously super, super important to me. You, of course, don't have to agree with me. And if not, I really want to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at SavingEJ, or you can email me at david.deroche at qu.edu. That's david.desrochehes at qu.edu. This podcast is a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. Our producer is Grace McGuire. Our social media coordinator is Jillian Catalano. Our videographer is Jake McCarthy. The music you're hearing was composed and performed by yours truly. Please subscribe to the podcast on the app of your choice to learn more about this podcast and the other ones we do here at the university. You can visit qu.edu slash podcast. Please also check out our new website, quinnipiacpodcasts.com. Thank you so very much for listening to Baffled with David Roche. Our last episode of the season is next week. Until then, 